Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Before we start our show today, we have Mark Barnes, owner of Copper Canyon Tax Service, on the phone to tell us where the IRS moved the goal line this week. Mark, what's going on? Good morning. Yeah, talk to me. We got lots of changes this year. Uh, it's been nonstop pretty much since the beginning of uh, the year. So the due date for your federal tax return has been extended to May 17th. And this date also applies to any balance due for the 2020 tax year. Not all states are on board with this, uh, but Arizona does have pending legislation. It was voted on this last Thursday and is waiting for Governor Ducey's signature, and that will extend our deadline out to May 17th as well. What if he doesn't sign? Well, there's a lot of stuff in this bill. Um, it covers a lot of ground, not just the extension of the tax deadline. Um, I, It's pretty much signed. It just needs the ink on it. Okay. Um, you're, it's important to note that if you do make estimated payments, your first estimated payment is still due on April 15th. Um, there are some strategies there. If you're going to go on extension, you could make a payment with your extension on May 17th and overpay that. And then once your return is complete, apply that overpayment to your first estimated payment to avoid penalty on that. Okay. Besides that, um, most people should have received their third round of economic impact payment or their stimulus payment. That was $1,400 per person. And the, the age limit had been removed on this final payment. So if you had dependents on your tax return that didn't qualify before, and these could be your children that are in college, these could be your parents that you are supporting, uh, it would be $1,400 for each of those showing up in your stimulus payment. Is Let's that tax taxable? No, it's not taxable. Okay. What It needs to be reconciled on the tax return, and that process is really just determining, were you eligible for stimulus, and did you receive it? And if, you, if you're eligible and you did not receive it, you will receive it with the filing of your tax return. So it's, it, is it taxable? It's been asked, I don't know, hundreds of times this year. The answer is always no. But if there's more money for you out there, we're looking for it. So we need to get that reconciled on the tax returns, and it'll be the same process next year. Okay. Um, for future planning, we have some big changes to the child tax credit this year. So those children living with you, uh, it's normally $2,000 per qualifying child. That's been bumped up to $3,000 for 2021. And if those children are age five and under, it goes up to $3,600. Um, and they've also increased the age limit. Usually when your kid turned 17, they aged out. Now it's one year later, and that's going to be age 18. And then another big change is our dependent care credit. So this is if you have children under 13 and they're in preschool or after school care, the cap on that was 3000 per child and 6000 per household. Those numbers have been increased this year to 8000 per child and 16000 per household. And the credit now jumps up to 50% of that, the amount that you have paid for child independent care. So there's a lot of items in this bill. 
and they're all driven by your earned income. So we plan on spending a lot of time this summer working with people to make sure that your adjusted gross income falls within these thresholds so that you're able to take advantage of these additional child tax credits and these higher levels of dependent care and a lot of the other items that have shown up in the American Rescue Plan Act of 2021. Well, that sounds like a good idea, but I'm not going to have another baby just to take advantage. You know, (laughs) there's certain things that you don't do. You don't need to rush out and get married just for tax purposes, and you certainly don't need to rush out and have children just for tax purposes. Oh, good. (laughs) (laughs) There are other planning opportunities out there besides getting married or having children. Okay, and I'm sure you're going to tell us about us. You're going to come back next week and give us some more advice, right? We there's pages and pages of stuff that we could talk about, but we'll we'll come back next Saturday and we'll talk about some more of the important items that people should be paying attention to. Okay, that sounds like a plan. I appreciate you calling in. You're welcome. Thank you, Sherry. Talk to you later. Okay, I want to remind everybody that Law Matters is hosting an online auction. We have some really cool stuff in there. Everything from virtual fitness classes to lunch with federal agents or a sheriff. There's um, one-of-a-kind jewelry items. Mother's Day and Father's Day is coming up. You might think of maybe buying something or purchasing something for that occasion. And we've got resort stays. And Tango, one of our TPD canines, had a likeness made of him. And we're auctioning that off as well with Victor Dog Food in case he gets hungry. Okay, in the studio, we have Jack Harris and Rich Tracy, and we're just going to boggle your minds with all the information we're going to give you about current events. We want to recognize an officer, another officer was killed yesterday, I think it was yesterday, Officer William Evans, who is a Capitol Police officer, and unfortunately, he succumbed to his injuries, and our hearts go out to his family and this reminds me, law enforcement, you know, we've we've had a lot of people over the last couple of years get killed. How do the families deal with this, Jack? Well, as you can imagine, um, it's it's just an absolute devastation to a lot of the families. And 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 when we talk about families, is that I think you have to look at it from different layers, whether it's spouse, whether it's significant others, whether it's children whether it's brothers and sisters, whether it's moms or dads. How about your work family? Your work family as well. Yeah. They're the coworkers, absolutely. And it's just, um, you know, the focus, uh, obviously, right after the, after a tragic loss is, is on, the, on the immediate family of the officer and the, uh, you know, the funeral and the, and, the, and the honor and the respect that they pay. But after that, after that kind of flurry of activity slows down, is that then, then the impact of grief and the, and the effects of the loss starts to settle in. To, in a lot of different ways. Yeah, it's it's something everybody kind of handles differently, yep. but there's support out there for people who are survivors of, you know, violent crimes like this. What do you recommend people to do? Well, I think first I think first of all is is what you said is that grief gets handled very differently. Um, there's an organization called the Concerns of Police Survivors who's really dedicated their mission is dedicated to helping uh, those affected, whether again, all the all the different uh, segments that we talked about, but they're dedicated to helping 
uh, folks. And, and the help really takes different forms. I mean, immediately right afterwards, there's, you know, there's, there's, there's needs that are met. There's a group in, in, uh, out of Phoenix, the, Arizona, the 100 Club, mm-hmm. that comes in and provides some financial assistance to help people over the hump. Uh, but, but after, uh, as again, I, I, I use the word this flurry of activity that occurs afterwards. When things start to get quiet, when, when things start to, to settle down in terms of the, the coverage, the attention, is that, that's where grief and that's where the loss really starts to impact people. And oftentimes, um, folks are, are hesitant to reach out for help, but there's a tremendous amount of resources. And, and it's, when I'm doing uh, you know, trauma work, people always ask, well, what are we going to do when we get there? How are we going to help somebody? And my answer is always the same. I don't know until we get there and find out what the people need. Sometimes people need information. Sometimes they need a shoulder to cry on. Sometimes they need to vent. Um, and it can be different uh, for all different folks. But, but the idea of being there to help people so that the sense is, I'm not alone. Because think about it. When we were all born, we weren't given a manual on, on tr- tragic loss. Is it, we, we don't have a, a guidepost or guidelines to take us through it. Um, and I think a lot of times not, not knowing that raises questions in people's minds, but at the same time is that often people say, I want to help, but I don't know how to help because they're, because off those words often get translated into how do I fix it? How do I make it better? Yeah. And my answer is always, you can't fix, you can't solve, you can't make it better, but you can be there for support and you, and you can be there to help the person through it. You just made me think about it when my husband was killed People were saying some of the dumbest things to me. I know how you feel was one of them. And I was like, you have no clue how I feel. But I didn't say that. I was just trying to be gracious. And I had one person out of everybody came up to me and said, kiddo, I have no idea what's going on in your head and your heart right now, but I'm here for you. And what you just described is, I think, a really good example of when people don't know what to say. I mean, our heart inside, our hearts are going out for you. We want to help. We want to be there for you. Don't and know I, what, how. And we don't know what to say. And when that happens, out of our own discomfort, comes some pretty bizarre things. I, I have a list of things that uh, I've collected. I've gone to police week for over 25 years. Talking to, to spouses primarily is where I collected this list. And, and, uh, and, and, and the things like, I know exactly how you feel. Well, at least he didn't suffer. Uh, she was doing what she loved and and all these little cliches which are designed to be helpful in most cases really just irritate people yes absolutely because i was irritated but i didn't tell them i was irritated because i knew their heart was in the right place it was just like you know you don't know what to say when somebody you know it's it's different for everybody rich tell me about your experience well i i do know that uh for what happened at the capitol yesterday there's already uh, trained law enforcement peers that are responding to the Capitol Police to help them uh, from the law enforcement family perspective with critical incident debriefings and and doing the kind of the same things that the cops organization would do for families right now. The trained peers are are responding to do for those officers in the work family environment. There's a there's some very specific things that happen in the aftermath of a, of a line of duty death. And I, I know from, I know personally some people that are responding there went there yesterday to begin that process. So the, those folks are going to get good care. They, some of the same, some of the same responders were there in the aftermath of what happened in January. So they're, they're going back to uh, provide the assistance 
that's generally offered in the aftermath of a line of duty death. When um, the U.S. Marshal White was killed, murdered, the same type of response happened then where people came in and they supported the family. They were there for them. Correct. The, the United States Marshal Service, and I, I'm proud to say that I was part of that team for a number of 20 some odd years. Yeah, but you're pretty old. They, they, really, they really have some uh, one of the best programs in law enforcement in the country for responding to those types of incidents and not just line of duty deaths, but, you know, trauma shooting incidents, you know, that there's all kinds of things, sick family members, that there's a a range of things that they respond to. And, and it's, it's not psychology. We're not psychologists or therapists or anything. We're just peers that are trained to have an empathetic ear and be able to provide good information to those officers and their families in the aftermath of traumatic incidents and and really try to provide them some stability and a foundation for walking through the recovery that Jack is describing. And sometimes just to have an ear, somebody to listen to you, pour your guts out. Yeah. It, it helps. It's huge. A lot of listening. A lot of listening. Yeah. And, and, no, and knowing what to say. Yeah. You well, know, I mean, avoiding those cliches that, you know, we're, we're tra- you know, we're trained not to, you know, not to use those cliches. Exactly. Exactly. I think the heart of that is the listening is that being a, being able to be, get comfortable in an environment that is uncomfortable and there's no way you can make it comfortable, but yeah. to be able to listen without being judgmental, without offering opinion, without here's what you should do, or, or oftentimes what we as people do, you'll tell me a story of, of, of a tragedy that's happened to you, and then somebody will try with good intentions to say, well, I, I can relate to what you're saying because when my father or when this happened, and pretty soon it becomes into storytelling. And, and as simple as this sounds, it's really difficult to, to be tra- to train and to learn to be a listener where where your empathetic thoughtful responses are designed to just really convey a message look I'm here with you yeah. I know it's a tough time I know it's a dark place and I'm here with you and you don't need to go anywhere I'm not trying to move you from your discomfort I just want you to know you're not alone and I'm here for you and that's like the perfect answer always so I want to talk a little bit about last week's show we made a few people uncomfortable and ruffled some feathers. And I've been thinking about it over the week. There's a lot of people that feel that we're losing our freedom of speech, that people are, especially in the workplace, they don't know what to say or how to say what's on their mind, so they just keep it to themselves. And this is like creating this stressful situation how do you deal with, because you're the professional, I'm not, how do you deal with today's current, how do you lead your team with this type of tension that's going on with what not to say and what to say, and this is not easy. Well, I think that there's a tendency sometimes for people to want to come up with the list of nots. What I mean by that is the list of things that you can't say and you can say. But I, but I think one of the problems is I think we're all capable, even with great intentions and with no evil intent at all, to say something that may be misperceived by somebody else. And, and, I, and, and, and as soon as that happens, we often judge people by how we feel about what they say. Mm-hmm. But what we do as people, we talk about what our intentions are. And sometimes our intentions and the way that they're interpreted can be very different. Now, I'm only talking about people who are, who are 
who are intentionally trying to do the right thing. I mean, there's there's some there's some folks out there that that that's not even on their agenda. They they're going to say what they say no matter what they. But in terms of facilitating the conversation, I think oftentimes we don't sit down amongst ourselves, whether it's family, whether it's business groups, whether it's work teams, and have a conversation about what kind of environment do we want to set. I have a conversation about what are some differences that people have, and and I always like to think of the arguments that we have. Um, in today, in, in just our in our day to day lives, they're just stopping everybody. Think for a second: Are most of our arguments about differences, or are they about absolute right or wrong? And if we really think about it, we spend a lot of time talking about just differences, right? And then, but when ego and pride gets in the way, and our heels get dug into the ground, we start to conceptualize differences as absolute rights or wrong, and then the conversation just stops. Because once, once we get fired up emotionally, I call them the hot button topics. If I was in a room right now and, and, we, and, and there were 30 people and I said, let's talk about pro-life or pro-choice, I can guarantee you within seconds, people in that room would start to get animated, they'd get angry, they'd start, there'd they, be polar opposites in the room. And, and, and what, what's the gist or the underlying issue there is that if you have your opinion and I have my opinion, is that sometimes we have to agree to disagree because you're not going to change mine, I'm not going to change yours. But at some point, could we still be friends? Could we yeah. still have a respectful relationship? And, and we can, as long as we're willing to entertain that everybody out there isn't going to think the same way I am. And I think a good example of hearing what you want to hear or you know, sticking your heels in the ground like you're talking mm -hmm. about, several months ago the Pope came out and said, that everybody should be treated with respect, regardless, everybody. And people took that to mean he said it was okay for gay marriage. Well, a couple of weeks ago, he came out and said, um, I have the quote here someplace. He says, you know, God can't bless sin. So I got an email and the subject line, and it was from a company, the subject line said, the Pope's a jerk. And I'm like, wait a minute, why are you attacking the Pope? He didn't write the rules. But this person, this company keeps going on and on about the Pope being a jerk. I don't know if you've heard about this. And I, I was just like, you heard what you wanted to hear to begin with. Now you're accusing him of backtracking. He never said anything about approving or disapproving. He said, I'm not one in judgment. So you miss interpreted or didn't hear what was really being said you heard what you wanted to hear and I was like well that's a prime example of what you're talking about but as you said that something popped into my mind is that if someone gets arrested at rest is in jail okay they've done something wrong they're held accountable for it they violated the rules but does anybody disagree is that they shouldn't be treated with respect Everybody should be treated Everybody. with respect. And I think that's the thing, is that when you hear that word, we should all be treated with respect, then our brains, because it's, it's not the words just that we hear, it's the meaning that we attach to those. And if all of a sudden, treating with respect is the same as whether... Approval. Approval is a, is a very different thing. Yeah. Um, and I think that's one of the things that we miss. I may disagree with you pretty vehemently about something, but that still doesn't mean that, that uh, I don't owe you some respect and have a respectful dialogue and conversation. Yeah, and I, I, 
I think I told you I had a friend in Chicago call, and, you know, we're still friends, right, with all this stuff going on, the riots and everything. And I said, yeah, and don't think that if you do something that's a bonehead move, I'm not going to razz the hell out of you because I will. (laughs) (laughs) It's just the way it goes. And I just think people need to relax and take into consideration everybody's got an opinion, right or wrong. Everybody's entitled to that opinion. And forcing your opinion on somebody Explaining it, why you feel that way, is one thing, but trying to force your opinion on them is a whole different thing. Well, here's a crazy example to that. There's three of us sitting here in the studio today. If we went out to dinner and one of us liked our steak rare, one of us liked it well done, and the other one didn't eat meat, is it possible the three of us could argue at dinner? And, (laughs) and, 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 And I can tell you for a fact is that this this exact same issue has destroyed dinners because people get angry. How can you eat it that way? That's disgusting. You're not going to eat this way. Why are you doing it? And, and if you stop and think, wait a minute, what different, if I said to you, Sherry, why do you like your steak well done? And if you say, well, this is, well, this is why I like it. Because I don't it. want it galloping around the plate. Right. And if I look at you and say, okay, I get it, and the reason I like it rare is because of this, is that we can sit there, we can agree to disagree. At the end of the meal... We can say, how was your steak? It was the best. How was yours? It was the best. Rich, how was your salad? It was the best. And, <laughs> Put and you we, on how, salad. how come I'm the one that ate salad? <laughs> I, I, would, I would not be the one that I, didn't have meat on my plate. I'll I, tell I, you I, that. But, but the point is... Already we start. Do we, do we really have to use... Do we have to take this silly example that I think a lot of us can relate to? Yeah, But exactly. yet at the same time, the principle that lies behind it is the ability to see differences... And, and accept differences without immediately turning them into some vitriol and turning them into um, this is we have to fight and I have to prove to you that I'm right versus you're right. Yeah. And I think a lot of uh, holiday dinners end up in the uproar because of exactly what you're just talking about. <laughs> it's like, oh, let's fight over the turkey. <laughs> oh, yeah. Crazy. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in a few. Daylight is fading and the temperature is dropping. You are not only cold, hungry, and lost in a densely wooded area, you're injured. Time is of the essence. Sarsi is a highly trained team of dedicated volunteers who work closely with Pima County Search and Rescue to help people in critical situations just like this. To join an exclusive team of heroes, go to sarsi.org. That's S-A-R-C-I.org. We need your knowledge, experience, and of course, your generous spirit. Hi, this is Sherry. If you think your current interest rate is high and refinancing is on your mind, give me a call at 520-310-9900. Maybe you're thinking about purchasing a new home while rates are low. Give me a call at 520-310-9900. Perhaps you just want to know how a reverse mortgage can improve your life. Give me a call at 520-310-9900. I can help you with all your mortgage needs, and I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks. To report suspected human trafficking, please call the National Human Trafficking Resource Center at 1-888-373-7888 or text HELP or INFO to 233-733. To learn more about Homeland Security investigations and our efforts to combat human trafficking, please visit our website at www.ice.gov or check out the DHS Blue Campaign at www.dhs.gov slash blue campaign. For more information on the Southern Arizona Anti-Trafficking Unified Response Network, please visit us at www.saturn.org or find us on Facebook. 
Law Matters Live Show airs Saturday morning at 8 when our listeners ask questions of the people who have answers. On our next show, nationally renowned psychic Susan Rowland tells us how her gift helps law enforcement. So get your questions ready and join our conversation at 790-2040. Law Matters podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, and of course, lawmatters1030.org. Please go to lawmatters1030.org for our online auction and help support our mission. Thanks for staying with us. In the studio, we have Jack Harris and Rich Tracy. And Rich, we were talking during the break because we don't just sit here and shut up. We talk. Explain what you were saying about differences. Yeah, just talking about, I don't think that people's differences of opinion have changed. What has really changed is our ability to deal with one another over those differences. So you go back to when Ronald Reagan was president, him and Tip O'Neill, the Speaker of the House at the time, were polar opposites when it came to politics. There was bumping heads. But there's, yeah, but there was, their, their history was replete with arguing like cats and dogs during the day and uh, drinking whiskey and smoking cigars in the evening together because they were friends. You look at the the relationship between uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and um, uh, Justice Scalia. You know, they, they were polar opposites on judicial philosophy and the way they approached things, but but they were good friends. Right. So I think what, what we need is not just interpersonally on a small scale, but at the national level, that there, we need to come back to a sense of um, uh, of just being kind to one another. It seems like that has completely left the you know, left, left the, the national discussion. Exactly. It's, it's yeah. left the building for sure. Yeah. We were, we were talking about that, um, yesterday or the day before about how to be the change you want it to be and start on a small scale and that will expand. Explain to people what you think. Well, I think to, I think many times we start thinking about change, our, our our eyes immediately go up, whether it's the top of the organization, whether it's the top of the political food chain. <clears throat> and, and I would argue that we could wait all day, and, and many of us have been waiting for a lot of years for the system to become magically better. But I think a better, uh, a, a more effective approach is, is that let's start taking a look. If we're going to use the word leadership, leadership doesn't is doesn't start with the top of the system. It starts with an individual. And and if and if and if we're parents out there, we want our kids to be leaders. We want them to make decisions um, that that take them in the in the right direction. But when I talk about personal leadership, what I'm what I'm suggesting is all of us own a little piece of what I call a triangle, and and in that triangle is that area, and, it, and it's not defined by the three points. It's just representative. It's where we have a sphere of influence. And and all of us can be personal leaders and start to make some changes within that triangle. Uh, I know sometimes people sit back and say, well, can it really happen? Well, I would ask anybody who's been out there and has ever worked for a boss, and if you had the opportunity to go work for that boss again, you would jump at the chance to compare that to some to a boss that you might have worked for that you'd never want to work for again. Yeah. And my question is, what's the difference? It has nothing to do with the organization. It has nothing to do with the policies, procedures. It has to do within that within that boss's triangle. He or she created an environment where there was good communication, there was respect, there were people felt valued, and 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 you can create that whether it's in your whether it's in your family unit, whether it's in your work unit, um, and 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 when we do that. If, if enough people start to think about it in those terms, we can start to create some change. But if we sit back the, and wait for somebody else to do it for us, 
we're going to wait for as long as until they decide it's a good idea. And then it still has to trickle down. Yes. And Charles is on the phone. Charles, what's on your mind? Uh, I just want to say, I think one of the things that's changed, if to use your guest's analogy, I'm sorry to speak of you in the third person. I'm, I didn't catch your name. Jack? Jack. To use Jack's analogy about the triangle, what's changed in the relationships or in the interpersonal in, in the interpersonal communication is there's sort of a, a there's a, a a narrative going on that somehow we as a people we as a country are invalid because of some of the things that weren't perfect in the past and what it's done is it's set us on edge in many cases against each other and 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 set up conflict it's deliberate it, it's a it's a way of getting people angry to cause change and i i guess maybe to use to to build on a Jack's analogy, it's kind of distorted the triangle into a trapezoid. People just like, they, they don't have tolerance for other people because they're angry. And that's been done to us. That's deliberate. I wonder if you can address the ways, maybe you have a little and I just haven't heard it quite, but address the ways that we can tempt that anger down or that we can counter the narrative without being combative, without being jerks, you know, without saying, without without trying to invalidate the person in an ad hominem attack as opposed to disagree with their ideas. I'll listen on the air. Thank, Thank you. Thanks, Charlie. Well, that, I think that's a great comment, and, I, and you brought up some very interesting points. Let me first touch on anger for a second. Here's one of the things that we know. When you and I are angry, our brains fire up, the emotional side of the brain fires up, and our ability to communicate and logically problem solve gets diminished. And one of the first one of the first steps to that is is to is to find ways to to mitigate that and separate the two. I always use this example. Is there anybody here and, and I'll just say in this room or maybe that's out there listening that's ever been really fired up about something, just had it up to the top of their head and in that split second either said or did something that at that moment felt perfectly good. And then about twelve seconds later their other part of their brain was going, Oh wish I could take it back. Wish I could take it back. Yeah. Or or the one they say, What was I thinking? And my answer is you weren't thinking. You were really pissed off. And as a result of that, you, you, rea you reacted to the fire in your gut. Yeah. And, 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 you, and you said something that was not designed at all to fix or solve a problem. Um, so, so here's a simple little technique. And, and I know it sounds simple, but don't discount the importance of simple little things. But I want you to imagine, Sherry, if you were really angry about something right now, and if I said to you, even with, even with heartfeltness, I said, well, why are you so angry? Just see how that feels, but compare it to this. Hey, Sherry, I can see that you're pretty upset with me right now. What, what did I do? Did I, what is it that I said that's got you so fired up? And can you feel a difference between those, those two questions, the why and the what question? Yeah, absolutely. And, and the why question is it, it, leads, it fires the emotion. But the what and how questions is that they, they force the brain to think. And even if you would have snapped back to me, well, I'm just really angry and I'm upset. And, I, and if I said, I can see that. Um, but is there something that I said? Or what's, what happened this morning? And, and what that really does is it conveys two things. First of all, is that I'm not immediately trying to prove you wrong. I'm not defensive. I'm not trying to fix or solve. What I'm really trying to do is before we have any more conversation, is I'm trying to understand where you're coming from. Because 
I know you're angry, but I don't understand. The foam coming out of your mouth tells me you're angry. Yeah, or those. Yeah, exactly. Or if you look at Rich and you see the fire in his eyes, and <laughs> you just know something's uh, up. But I, but I think the other thing that comes into this this conversation is um, is it too many times when there's differences. And, 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 and I, think, I, I think the caller was exactly right, is that there are people that are really good at stoking the fire of anger, <clears throat> is that they push the buttons, and all of us have those buttons, and, and when you get them pushed, is that it's almost in a, in a crazy sort of way, you just kind of sit back and just watch everything spin up. Yeah. But I think the other thing that happens in those kinds of uh, conversations and rhetoric is that we are no longer now trying to solve a problem, we're trying to prove a point or win a war. Mm-hmm. And, and the minute the conversation, even though we don't use those words, comes down to that, then it's all about winning and losing. And, and you know, when I, when I used to do mediations, and, and when I'd start doing mediations before I ever started, I would, I would sit with whoever it is and say, before we got started, it, it, and I would say things like this, is it important um, to be in an environment where we respect each other? And I would ask three or four questions like that with these, with these common interests and then when the conversation started to, to degrade, I would say, wait, before we go any further, is that how is calling this person this name, how is that respectful, which just a few minutes ago? And, and, and we've got to pull back to the, com- to the po- common ground, as, as Rich said earlier, is that people want to be respected. Yes. You know, we want to be respected. So how is what we're doing respectful? Or have we slipped away from being respectful to trying to win a war? Because it's not going to solve anything. You're not going to win anything. No. Nope. And as a matter of fact, what you're going to do is we can be best friends. And, and I think that the divisiveness in the world today, and I don't, I'm not here to get political, but we could, we could take, there are today people who have lost friendships, lost relationships, lost marriages over the political arena of yeah. who was present, who shouldn't have been. And, and I want you to stop and think is that for most people, they've never met any of the political candidates. They've never been close friends with them, but their I, 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 ideals about it, or they're thinking about it. And, and then here's the other thing, is that if you believe one way and I believe another, and if my brain starts thinking, well, if you believe this, then you must be, and then it becomes personalized, and, it's, and it becomes real difficult sometimes to separate the behavior from the person. But if we're talking about problem solving and meaningful conversation, we can be different as night and day. We can have different opinions. But let's talk about the opinions. Let's try to understand them. Because I think a lot of people don't realize they have more in common than they have differences. Absolutely. And, you know, let's let's nurture and embrace our, our commonality and, you know, have respectful conversations about our differences. I do an exercise in a lot of the trainings that I do. <clears throat> and so you'll have a room of 40 people and, and oftentimes nobody knows each other. And I'll start off before we... For very first thing, I'll ask everybody to stand up and look around the room and find somebody who, for whatever reason, they think is most different from them. And people kind of look, and I said, it doesn't, it doesn't make, yeah, we're pointing at Rich. <laughs> but, but, but then I'll ask them. I said, I don't want you to talk. I don't want you to introduce yourselves. I want you to find somebody who, on your assumption, and just sit down. And then, my, and then the exercise, I will give you five minutes. I will time it. And all I want you to do is talk about how you're different. Conversation is kind of quiet, and then usually within two or three minutes, the conversation is lively, there's interaction, and then I'll stop it at five minutes, and we'll identify some of the typical differences, but then I'll say, how many of you found out that your assumptions about how you're different 
you found that you had more in common. 100% of the time for over 20 years, and I can't tell you how many thousands of groups I've done this with, people have found, well, I didn't know that about you. And, 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 and pretty soon, they're having dialogue and conversation that they would have never had in a class. And, and we've all been to training. And we've been there, and, and, and we, where do we go? We sit in the same place. Who do we talk with? The same people every time. And, and if you think about it... You're not expanding. We're not expanding. And why? Because we make assumptions. We walk into a room, and, and all of a sudden, you look and you say, well, you know, Rich looks more more safe, to, you know, or, or more friendly or more... Whatever. And we approachable. Say, approachable. And you sit down, and pretty soon you talk, and then, and then uh, six months later, Sherry, we're someplace and say, you know what, you look familiar. I don't know how I've met you. And then we realize we were in the same training class for a whole week. We never spent one minute talking. Yeah. And, and how does that expand your, 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 your eyes? knowledge? And yeah, your, your, yeah. A worldview instead of this room. Instead of my view. Exactly. Yeah. That's, I want to talk a little bit about gun control. <laughs> and he just cringed. Well, Rich is here, so we, we're good here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I hear people and all these assault rifles are being sold and, you know, three-day waiting period. What do you think should happen with gun control? Because they've, we've had so many shootings lately, It well, over the years, but in the last couple of weeks, it's getting a little ridiculous. I mean, there are so many of them and, you know, some of them don't even get reported. It's so commonplace, unfortunately. So what do you think should happen with gun control? What what should the waiting period be? And they're all sitting here squirming. This is my idea, my thought. If you feel you have to own an assault rifle, I think you should have to sign a waiver saying you give up your HIPAA rights so that it can be investigated whether you're all mentally there or not well i'll just since rich is not saying a word and he's got <laughs> he's got his hands over his um i i think that gun control is such a political hot button topic mm -hmm. and i think that as soon as you say that it means a lot of different things to different people right if you start to break it down into meaningful chunks like for example background investigations should there be background investigations? And, 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 and if there are, um, who do they apply to? But I don't think you can commingle background investigations into, into the size of clips, into, the si into, into different, in different kinds of guns. And I don't think you can make broad brush approaches that just say, here's what fits for everybody. Because I, 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 it I, doesn't. I guarantee you, if, if we had a room full of people and, and we said gun control and we said, everybody write down what that means to you, we would have 50 different definitions. And, and when it comes to problem solving and, and, and making a meaningful difference, until we, can, until we can make sure we're talking about the same thing or the same aspect, and instead of trying to fix everything in a broad global perspective, let's take one piece of it. Let's, let's take background investigations. How does that fit into a comprehensive plan? How does waiting periods, how does, how does mental, health, mental health issues? Because all of this, there's, there's balancing acts that, that I think you have to be considered. What is a mental health person? If I call and I say, you know, Rich is mentally unstable, we should take his guns, okay, that's my opinion. <laughs> but what's the criteria? Because maybe right. he's not as unstable. What, what's the standard that you hold him to? And, and I and think... And who, who, how do you identify unstable? Right, and who determines it? 
Right. And, and even the term, I mean, gun gun control is a hot button topic, as Jack says, but also a hot button topic is just using the term assault rifles because nobody can put a, you know, a, a definition on exactly what that is because an AR-15 is not a military weapon. It's a, you know, it doesn't fire repeated rounds and, you know, uh, automatic mode and those kind of things. I mean, it shoots one one round for every trigger pull and, and if you dress it up differently, it doesn't look as scary. So, and I'm just trying to, you know, uh, uh, lay the foundation for why it's different. My, my personal feeling on it do, doesn't really matter here. It's it's that's a hot button topic all of it all of its own that creates a lot of consternation and debate and you know again where where the ability of people to be civil to one another gets in gets in the way. I think a lot of people are using um, a mental health issue when people go off and they start shooting. Oh well, he wasn't mentally stable. It sounds to me like we need to fix something, but nobody knows what to fix. What? We've got Josh on the phone. You've got an idea? Yeah. When it comes to the topic of gun control, one of the things that I find interesting is that there are so many people out there that are willing to belittle these rights, which are guaranteed in our Constitution. Uh, the reason why our founding fathers wrote the Constitution the way they did is because they believed that there are certain rights that every human being should have in this land which should not be compromised and one of those similar rights is the right to freedom of speech and that goes back to the earlier topic that that you guys were discussing and we see a lot of this cancel culture now um, and the first amendment rights of people being completely belittled um, and i think that we're doing the same thing with the second amendment rights you know i come from the state of maine and back in the 1980s, we, in the state of Maine, they, uh, I wasn't involved, but they rewrote the article of the Maine Constitution. It's Section 1, well, 16, and it states very blatantly, every citizen has the right to bear arms, and this right shall never be questioned. So it's interesting to me good founding documents but then we have so many different laws that seem to fly in the face of the constitution a, a document that every elected official swears to uphold and defend yeah it it seems like it's a very passionate topic and i believe in the right to hold arms but do you have to qualify the person that's buying that weapon I mean, you've got little kids buying guns. <laughs> you know, how do you how do you control that? What are the ideas, and how do you do it without breaking the law? Actually, because you've got the Constitution saying what it says. It's yeah. I mean, that's a good question. I think it needs to be debated, and and uh, you know, we, we need to take a different approach to this, and uh, have a have a let our politicians decide on a, again on a civil in a civil discussion what what the potentials are and, and there's probably some compromise that ultimately can be can be found but again if I, I would venture to say most Americans that own firearms do so responsibly and safely and the majority, you know, are yes, absolutely. you know so so how do you how do you not infringe on again what is a Somebody constitutional right? right? You know, and and still 
uh, and still protect the communities from those that that like we the last need, that the communities weeks. need to be protected from. I mean, it's a it, it requires a and quite frankly, the the solutions may not rest as easily at the national level as it does you know, a little bit in the microcosm at the state and county and local level. I, I honestly don't know. But I think this whole topic is that we look, oftentimes we look for an answer as, as an either or answer. Either we're going to do this or we do this. And then we put ourselves into that win-lose diametrically opposed to each other. But where's the balancing act? You know, you, you, uh, you mentioned something earlier about mental health issues. You know, every time we hear in the in the in the news somewhere about the mental health issues and guns i mean it's it's heartbreaking all these tragedies that have occurred but i always think back and say most people that have mental health issues do not go out and commit violence with guns yeah and, but we have a tendency to broad brush communities is that if something happens you know it's like police departments are there examples where <clears throat> police officers have done inappropriate things absolutely but that doesn't mean all police officers get broad brushed. And we don't like it when somebody broad brushes our respective communities. But at the same token, we're pretty quick to broad brush other communities. And, and I think that, in, that is one of the aspects that makes this so volatile is that it's not all or none. <clears throat> it's, it makes for, for quick conversation. It, it makes for some headlines. But is it really the cause of the problems? And going back to the gun control thing, I think most of us would agree. Uh, no matter what side, is that you don't, there are people out there, whether they're 12 years old, whether they're severely mentally incompetent and have challenges, there's people that we, that, that we would, would agree that we don't want guns. Yeah, they shouldn't have them. They shouldn't have them. But now the question is, who shouldn't have them? <clears throat> and that's a debate that, that I, don't, I, I don't have any answers for. But, but what I do have, I think, an answer for is you'll never solve that problem until you can have a reasonable discussion and, and stay focused and talking about the same things. But if in, in that conversation of gun control, we bounce to 12 different aspects of it, mm -hmm. is it we'll spend the next 12 hours talking about it and we'll be no further closer to a solution. I think every situation is just so uniquely different because people are uniquely different. And I would have no problem with you owning a gun, but I would have a problem with, you know, Jimmy John down the street owning a gun because he, he's... A reckless person it's just right. you know how do you how do you define you can't just create a law and expect everybody to fit into that that square right. hole in your round peg it doesn't work that way so Absolutely. it's going to be interesting to see what happens because i know it's been a a topic of a lot of politicians lately what to do and how to do it and i think everybody out there would agree we would love to see the gun violence stop. We'd like to see these tragedies oh, absolutely. occur. But the question that, that comes to my mind is, what gun law out there is can be put in place that's going to guarantee that all that will stop? Yeah, there's no guarantee with anything. Exactly. But, but, it, but there's this, the political rhetoric is, if we do this, this will solve it. And, and I would just throw out a caution that maybe that's not the case. Maybe it's more than just a, a headline-type topic that deserves a much more thoughtful and, uh, and, and deep-dive-type response. Maybe the NRA should put their minds together and figure out a solution for this well, instead of just, you know, campaigning that Second Amendment. We all know the Second Amendment. Now fix right. this problem. <laughs> okay. 
I want to talk about, I, I read something the other day, and they said uh, stereotypical, and they named an area of the country. What's the difference between being stereotypical and profiling? <laughs> Jack's looking at <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Well, because it was like, okay, they're stereotypical. It's it was like an accepted, you know, verbiage for this area, but profiling is not. Well, I'll, I'll try to take a stab at it. I mean, I, I think what it's based in is what the difference is. If you stereotype someone, it's not necessarily based in a in something factual, right? Or, you know, it's it's kind of tradition or whatever that might not be necessarily based in fact in what bad opinions people have had, but if you're talking about a, a professional who is profiling someone, they're basing their development of a profile on statistics and research of other people in similar situations, and they're drawing reasonable science-based conclusions, although it's an art and a science to come up with what a profile might be if you're, you know, so that's probably a weak uh, shot at, at explaining no, the difference, that's a good but but I think you know that 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 starts us on that conversation. But uh, you know, stereotypes are generally not are, are generally not good things, and and should be avoided. Where coming up with a profile of someone for the purposes of solving a crime or whatever other per, or or preventing something from occurring is is a different kind of a different study altogether. And I think that, Rich, just to echo what you said, is the idea of stereotypes. I think we all have stereotypes. I think we all have biases. And and as much as we'd like to say we don't, the truth of the matter is we all have some. But I think the difference in, when it comes to that is, do you act on the biases or do you gather more information and then act on the information even with your biases? But this idea of profiling, I think back to when, when I worked for the uh, police department. <clears throat> and if you use the word profiling, it immediately engenders racial profiling. Right. And, and I was asked a question. I was, I was doing a presentation at a, at a morning breakfast club. And they said, does the police department ever profile? And I said, we do every day. And so do you. Yeah. And people, I mean, they were just in. Well, and I said, wait a minute. How many of you in this room thought when I said profiling that you thought I meant racial profiling? And they said, well, that's what profiling is. I said, no, that's what we're led to believe it is. Yeah. I said, but every, I, and I said, here's my example. If you live in a close neighborhood and, or in, in a, in a close, in a tight neighborhood and you, and it's two, 10 o'clock at night and you see a car that you don't recognize and the car's driving up and down the street a couple times and, and stopping and looking up driveways. I said, how many of you call the police? And they all raise their hands. I said, that's profiling. Mm -hmm. You're profiling a behavior that's not consistent with what's the norm, and yeah. you want it checked out. I said, but I never told you who was driving or what the person looked like. And they said, well, but that's different. And I said, no, it's not. It's profiling. It's it's picking something up and act and checking it out, which is very different from just the the broad brush uh, profiling. Yeah. And ironically, when <clears throat> I was trying to define profiling, the racial profiling aspect of it wasn't even in my it wasn't yeah, even in you, my you mind when I, when I said what I said, because yeah. I understand that distinction and would never, you know. But the average just, citizen doesn't. Well, they, they, I think they assign that definition to it again, and that's profiling in and of itself. Exactly. As Jack said. Exactly. Yeah. That's pretty sad. 
is you can't, and you have to, when especially in the police department or any of these departments, you have to really use those statistics that you hear about every day for the safety of the community. So if you see somebody driving down the street and they're going back and forth and looking like they're staking out the place, you're going to call, make a call or see that's that's different. Yeah, and the, and the question is, hey, this seems odd. It seems suspicious. I would like somebody to check it out. Right, and and just be simple. Sometimes if it walks like a duck and looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a duck, and yeah. that's that's profiling, but there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, I want to. We only have a couple of minutes left. Jack, what words of wisdom are you going to leave our listeners with? Well, I think the word of wisdom is just is just treat people and, and be the person that you'd like other people to be is that um you know this we go back to this word respect right we, we all have differences is that despite the differences is that treat people with respect engage in those conversations and be willing to hear another side aristotle who's an old greek philosopher one of my favorite quotes from him is the mark of an educated mind is the ability to entertain two different thoughts without agreeing with them and I think that, that that pearl of wisdom from so many years ago would be uh, just a, a real valuable guiding light in all sorts of relationships. So what we're going through today's society <clears throat> is not different. It's been hundreds of years old. Exactly. So yeah. nothing new and different. Not newsworthy. Move on with that. Okay. I want to remind everybody again, we are doing an online auction. If you go to lawmatters1030.org, the link is right there. Just click on it and you'll see all kinds of really unique things that you can bid on. And remember the holidays, Mother's Day, Father's Day, birthdays, Christmas. And it's just a unique, especially having a lunch with one of our law enforcement agents and FBI agent who was at a Waco. Um, Santa Cruz County Sheriff spent his DEA career in South America. He's got some good stories to tell. And... You know, former Sheriff Napier is on there. You want to have lunch with uh, Mark Napier, talk about good old days. So remember, check it out. Hope you want to support us because we want to be here and help you learn about different things regarding law enforcement. And next week, we do have a psychic coming on. Get your questions ready. And week after that, we've got DEA coming on. So... Have a good day. Shop local.